Oh, we've got ourselves a good one today. What's going on? And welcome to the Mike Janella Show. This is another podcast episode for me. Hopefully, it won't be my last. And we've got ourselves an awesome guest, a guy I've known in a very long time and who has been on Cloud Nine this week from ESPN Chicago, Nick Friedel. Nicky, baby, what's going on? Mr. Janella, it's a, uh, it's a boot hall reunion, baby. It's good to be with you. <laughs> That it is, Syracuse back in the day, and we're going to talk about that in a little bit, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, Nick is the beat writer for the Chicago Bulls for ESPN Chicago, but he is a hardcore Cubs fan. He's been uh, in Chicago now for years, and he's right there in the epicenter of it. It had a little bit of stuff going on lately uh, there in that city in a good way. Nick, I like to start every episode asking the people what the best thing to happen to them this week was. I got a feeling I know your answer, but why don't you tell me? <laughs> well, I, I was, not only did the Cubs make the World Series, which is the obvious answer, but I was lucky enough to be able to take my mom to the game. And that was just awesome because I kept thinking of all the people that would love to be in Wrigley as it was happening. I mean, my grandma is 88 years old and she went to the last World Series game in, in 1945 and she's calling us just going nuts. I mean, it was just such a joyous thing to be a part of and to be there with my mom was pretty special. That's awesome, the grandma thing. So she's become kind of a cult figure I've seen on Twitter um, from you putting out tweets and her having been at that last World Series game and now to see this again. I mean, those are all the stories that have been coming out from this Cubs run, which has been incredible for me because uh, you think about all the other teams that have gone through droughts, but this obviously is a century since the last World Series win, 70-plus years since actually being in it, and stories like your grandma are what make this such an awesome run. So... Tell me, what what was it like, that immediate aftermath right after they clinched? Are you just texting everyone you know? Are you calling everyone you know? You were at Wrigley. What was it like actually inside the stadium? I mean, give me the whole – give us the whole rundown. What was it like? Mike, I, I think everyone I know was texting me. <laughs> I looked down at my phone. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is just insane. But uh, my first call was to my grandma, Nani, who's in Florida now, and, and my brother. Uh, I think the the sense I got was it was just overwhelming joy, almost shocked because people are going, oh, my gosh, it happened. And then that followed up quickly by, okay, well, they got to win four more. But you're trying to enjoy the moment. And it had been so long since they even made the World Series. I think what struck me the most inside Wrigley the other night wasn't just the excitement. It was that you looked around in the seats. And there were a lot of older people there for all the baseball games I've ever been to in my life. And I've been to a ton of them over time, not just obviously in Wrigley, but all over uh, the country. I've never seen an older crowd in my life. Very, very few kids. It was as if all the people were discussing, all the old grandmas and grandpas and, and all, all the old Cubs fans, they were coming out of the woodwork to be a part of something special. And, and I think people within Chicago and definitely nationally have seen throughout the year that this team was was ready. I mean, they had all the pieces in place, but you wondered, could they put it together? And it seems like this group has, and now they've got to finish it off. But within Wrigley, that atmosphere from early, early on was something to behold. But uh, as far as the makeup of the crowd, uh, that is what really surprised me was uh, just how much older uh, the, the, the fans were and just how into it everybody was because it seemed like every other pitch, everybody was on their feet just going absolutely nuts. It's funny because FS1 was getting, I don't know if, was, if criticism is the right word, but a lot of people were noting online during the game how they were always showing the older fans on the little cutaway shots to the crowd as if they were trying to really bury that narrative home that it's been so long, but that wasn't manufactured. So you're telling me that was legit. It's all these, you know, older fans that were there, which is really cool to hear because those are the people that have been suffering all this time. So it's nice to have them get to see this uh, in person. Now take me, that was Wrigley. That was the actual inside. And I tweeted myself hearing 
you guys singing, you know, the Go Cubs Go afterward, it was like, it gave me chills, man, um, once, the, once the last out was recorded. Now take me to afterward, take me to Wrigleyville, take me outside, the celebrations, the partying. What was the night like once you left the friendly confines and just kept the party going? Yeah, the afterwards was crazy. I mean, I'm sitting there with my mom, and we're we're seeing the cutaway shots inside Wrigley from the cameras that are that are outside looking at Clark. I mean, we Mike, we sat in our seats for like an hour and a half. That's <laughs> cool. Inside because we didn't want to get out in the the middle. There was really nowhere to go, and, and I've got to give uh, the Chicago police a, a a tip of the hat because. They really kind of kept the crowd under control. They they set the traffic patterns up so there were a bunch of street closures and around Wrigley, but it was just wall to wall people. Uh, and and when, once we finally did walk outside after watching uh, all the excitement and all the events going on on the field, it was just joy. It was pure joy. People are high fiving each other. Random people are 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 jumping on top of one another, just going crazy. And I think it was the realization that it is possible. And who knows what's going to happen over the next week or so. They play the Indians, and they look uh, like a really talented group, and they've been on fire in the last couple weeks. So who knows how it plays out. But it was the realization that, hey, you know what? They can do this. And they did get to the World Series. And, And at some point, Mike, it's going to happen. <laughs> I mean, it, it has to, right? Just mathematically. It, it, it's just, it's got to happen. But uh, but outside, everybody's kind of looking at each other. And, uh, you know, it, it was it was funny to me because I'm sitting there and I had run to the restroom about the seventh inning, a little before the stretch. And, and this guy, it, I mean, the line, you can only imagine, was about two miles long. But this guy is, is looking over and, and he's just kind of going, they're going to go to the World Series. <laughs> you know, whisper. Like nobody wanted to say it out loud. Yep. And and then it happened and they got there and everybody well, was tempered just a bit because obviously they've got to win one more series. It was, it was really, really fun and interesting to see how people were responding outside uh, in, in all around Chicago. Now, talk to this because this part's interesting to me about you personally. Now, you you're not a Cubs fan. Come lately, you mentioned your grandma was at the last World Series game. Uh, you mentioned Booth Hall earlier. That's you know that's how we know each other. We were in the same dorm room or not dorm room, same dorm. Uh, my freshman year, sophomore year at Syracuse, and I remember that was the that was the Bartman year, and I remember the Bartman game. And going upstairs, I was on floor seven, and going up to floor eight, you were right above me and knocking on your door to make sure you were okay, and you had locked yourself in your room. I don't know how much of this you remember, if you blacked it out or not, but you were, I mean, <laughs> you were catatonic, man. There was just no consoling you, and rightfully so. Um, so this is something that's been, you know, in your blood for a very long time. What's the origins of your of your Cub fandom? Explain to people how this isn't just a byproduct of you living in Chicago for work. What brought you to this point um, as a fan? Yeah, we, we mentioned my grandma, uh, and, and she was kind of a driving force because she grew up right around Wrigley, uh, and her whole family is from Chicago. And uh, as the story goes, uh, when my great-grandmother passed, they cleaned out her apartment, and it was just filled with boxes and boxes and boxes of old uh, Cub schemes. She kept score off the radio. And so that got passed down. And uh, as I always tell people, it's in the bloodlines. I mean, it, it really has defined my life in a lot of ways. I mean, my, I wrote my essay to get into Syracuse about being a Cubs fan and how everybody just crushed me <laughs> all the time because they're like, oh, you cheer for this team that. It never wins. It never goes anywhere. And I remember uh, when that was in 03 when we were up at Syracuse. And I remember it vividly still because I was convinced, like every other Cub fan out there, that they were going to find a way finally. And then that eighth inning happened, 
and the Bartman play happens, and I just I I was laying in my my room and I was just sitting in the bed just crying because my mom was reminding me this over the last few days. When I was little, when the Cubs won, I was in a great mood, and when the Cubs lost. I was miserable. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, it's a yo-yo. It's a yo-yo. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and it carried over over time. And uh, you know, I, I, I've been a fan my whole life. And what's been interesting uh, to me is how it's kind of evolved over time. In that now I've been in Chicago about eight years, and people they say the same thing. You've been a Cubs fan your whole life. I, you know, I, I don't understand. I grew up in Orlando, Florida, and and I was one of those kids that. I came home from school and turned on Harry Carey, and I fell in love with the game. I fell in love with that team. Ryan Sandberg is my favorite player of all time. But uh, it, it is funny. I get up here now, and I'm in this role, at least on the radio, uh, of being a commentator. And, and just for a little more context, about five years ago, I became a Cubs season ticket holder. Uh, I, split, uh, I split the season with two of my buddies. And I was so angry that the Cubs, and specifically Tom Ricketts, the owner, he he decided to keep the ticket prices so high. And and you know anybody who's watched the Cubs the last couple of years, they know they have all this young talent. But uh, you know, three four years ago, this team was awful. Like I yeah, a hundred lost season. Yeah, absolutely over and over and over again. And I was. So angry, and I was very critical of Ricketts and what was being done because I thought it was unfair to fans like me who were paying top dollar. It was like the third highest priced seat in the game to watch what essentially was a minor league team because the only player that's still there, that's still a major contributor from all those prospects, is Rizzo. And and look, they deserve a ton of credit, and we'll get into this later, but. The Theo Epstein move was awesome. Uh, getting Joe Madden to me is what kind of set the last couple of years in place because uh, he was uh, such a, a, a great manager uh, in Tampa and, and did so many good things for, for that young team and got them to believe in themselves. But I was so angry at Ricketts. And in the end, no matter how this plays out, I mean, they deserve a ton of credit. Uh, for for how the, the Cubs have continued to to get all these wins together and and change the course of the franchise, but Mike, I'd be lying if if I didn't remember all that. And and it's a long uh, winding answer here, but it is to say I'm still a loyal diehard Cubs fan. But it is funny now at 33, I'm not the <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just not the same as I was in the thought process because it's, it, it upset me so much that I'm writing these checks to watch, uh, you know, these, these awful teams play, but it was part of the process. And in the end, like every other Cubs fan out there, I just wanted them to get to a point where they were competing for world series. And now they're here. And now I think everybody's taking this big collective sigh of relief that, uh, they're on the verge of something really special here in the next couple of weeks. But either way, it's set up for a while uh, in how uh, the foundation of this team is built. That's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize about the Cubs fandom is that, you know, when the Red Sox won their World Series, they had come so close and been so heartbroken so many times. For the Cubs... You guys got that lovable losers label. There was that streak. What was it? You didn't have back-to-back winning seasons for like 50 or 60 years or something. And there was just so much of not even being close. So to even be there consistently now, uh, I think is a win altogether. And then to actually get that trophy uh, would be next level, obviously. Um, Talk to me, Nick. Is it weird being a journalist in Chicago and then also having to wear that fan hat? Because I would imagine, you know, people who, who cover the Cubs that maybe grew up in Chicago are feeling different than someone like you who you can put your Bulls professional journalistic job aside and then just wear your fan, fly that flag 100%. Do you kind of give me some perspective? Do you realize how unique of a situation you're in personally? Yeah, it's a really good question, Mike, because it's something I've thought just so much about in the last few years. And 
and you lived the the college experience with me. And I know at at Newhouse at Syracuse, we're taught you can't be a fan. You know, you you've got to be a a journalist uh, if you're covering something. And when I first moved up here to Chicago, and again, this is almost eight years ago now, I actually covered the Cubs and the White Sox every day. Uh, every home game, whoever was in town, I was going out to either uh, Wrigley or U.S. Cellular. And I was terrified of telling anybody that I'd been a Cubs fan my entire life because I didn't want anybody to look at me differently and say, you know what, you can't cover the team. You know, he's too much of a fan. And uh, I'd like to think that they called me you know, uh, at some point in the next year or two, if you just came call and said, hey, uh, the Bulls aren't running so hot and we need somebody else to uh, to help cover the Cubs, that I'd be able to do it because I I could put that different hat on, that journalist hat. But, but I made it a point in the last couple of years, uh, especially when I got those season tickets, uh, to, to be more outward with, who I really was at my core. And at my core, I am a diehard Cubs fan. But it's been incredibly difficult for me because I always I always wonder about that balance because I, I, I love uh, the fact that I can talk about sports and I, I, I kind of pride myself on being honest with either listeners or, or fans that are reading my work. But uh, in that regard... Part of who I am is, is being a fan and being a Cubs fan, but I, I I kind of bounced back and forth on that line. And and I I talked about the the Rickett story. Uh, I, I that's something that kind of has stuck with me in these these last couple of years as they've been good because people are attacking me on Twitter saying, oh you know you're a fake fan and and you didn't believe in the plan. And it wasn't so much that in that I understood what they were doing. I think what what so angered me was that they were keeping these ticket prices so high instead of lowering them and saying, hey, you know what? We're terrible right now. We're going to give everybody a break and just hang with us. We're, we're going to try to turn this thing around. But those prices were so high. And here I am as a fan writing these checks. And I have this platform on the radio and on the website and saying, hey, this isn't right. And now the Cubs have turned it around and people are like, oh, you know, you have no idea what you were talking about and, and you don't understand what was going on. And, and I, I don't believe that was the, the case. I understood, but it speaks to the question of, you know, what point and, and how do you balance being a journalist and being a fan? And it's, it's tricky because I, I think once you, once you figure out how you want to proceed, People are going to view you a certain way no matter what happens and no matter what you say. So uh, having said all that, at my core, not only am I a fan, but I'm a fan that, that wants to see this team do well. Uh, but if you're putting me in that role as a commentator or, or somebody that has to go out there and, and cover certain events or certain things, I, I have enough confidence in myself to to believe that uh, I wouldn't be biased in in, in what I was saying or, or, or writing uh, about this team on a daily basis. And I think you and any of us in the sports media owe a big debt to guys like Bill Simmons or Michelle Beadle or even Michael Wilbon there in Chicago, who since the time you and I graduated school kind of paved the way for that fan first, but I can also be unbiased when you need me to be uh, kind of personality. Cause that's obviously something that, you know, we're all human and you're not going to be able to so easily turn off the switch of something that, like you said, for the Cubs is in your blood. But, you know, give us the benefit of the doubt. Let us let us show you that we can be both fans and professionals. I think that's certainly part of the industry that's evolved over, over the last 10 years or so. Um, I got to be a little wet blanket for you, Nick, because I've got a little theory and I don't think you're going to like hearing it. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> For the Cubbies, I mean, obviously last year they ran into that uh, that one-year Mets buzzsaw uh, in the playoffs. But for me, this seems like things have come a little bit too easy for them. And I think you, of anyone, should appreciate this covering the Bulls. Like, everyone thinks about Jordan's Bulls, right? And they had to go through the Celtics first and the Pistons for a couple of years before they finally got to those titles. Or I mentioned the Red Sox earlier and the struggles they had in 
the late 90s and then the early 2000s, just always climbing that mountain. And for the Cubs, I feel like a lot of this has come very quickly. Are you worried that they haven't been battle-tested enough, or do you just not care at this point and you think, you know, if you're good, you're good? I I am in I'm in the second boat there. I think that this team is so talented that uh, after the experience of getting just crushed uh, last season by the Mets, uh, it it strengthened them. And you hear that a lot in in pro sports with a lot of different teams. They go through uh, the the <laughs> the valleys to get back up to the the mountaintop and and. We'll find out here if the Cubs can really get get there, get to where they want to go, get to where fans want them to go. But, uh, Mike, it's not to say the Indians can't win because, and you look at what they've done in the playoffs, Francona seems to be pushing all the right buttons. Yep. It's just that when you look at what the Cubs have on their roster and you see what they've accomplished already this season, and you see that they bounce back after that bad game during San Francisco and in those two games against the Dodgers where they couldn't hit anything, and you go, man, uh, they they faced some adversity here, and they found a way to bounce back. I, I feel like they believe that they are the team of destiny this year, uh, and now they just have one more hurdle to prove it. Uh, but it speaks to the confidence that I have as a fan and having watched this team grow over the last couple of years, that let's say they didn't do it, uh, I think they'd be right there again next year. And I think they're going to be right there again the following year. I think the core is so strong that uh, they believe that their time is coming, and their time is coming for a while. So I believe they're going to win the World Series. I believe that uh, they have enough to do it. Uh, But uh, I'm not stupid enough to think that and remember that this is baseball. <laughs> you can go up against a hot team and, and just get rolled quickly. So uh, I, I'm curious as anyone to see how it plays out. And I, and I understand what you're saying. I just think the Cubs are so far and away the better team and have been all year that I'd be surprised at this point if they don't close it out. Right, so I want to ask you for a specific prediction because I don't want you being on the record taking any heat uh, for any jinxing or anything from the fan base. Uh, but I will ask you this, and I want to shift over to your career and, and a little bit of Bulls talk. But to put a bow on the Cubs talk, I guess, you're still a young guy, obviously, and you have people that you in your in your personal life who've been waiting for this for a long time. If you win this one, Nick, will that be enough for you? If they never won again the rest of your life, would the sweetness of this one <laughs> be enough to carry you uh if i'm answering honestly mr janela i would say yes, <laughs> I would say yes. I just mean, give me one baby <laughs> I, I just i i think i truly and I, and I know i'm not alone in this i think about my grandma i think about what it would mean for her to be here and to see the team that she followed her whole life win a World Series. And, uh, you know, on the, on the topic of Nani really quickly, it is funny because she lives in Florida. Uh, and when the Cubs weren't playing, because back up until eight, ten years ago, uh, as the Cubs figured out more ways to play more night games, uh, you know, as we all know, they played a ton of day games. So what she would do, she was living in the Tampa area. She'd watch the, the Cubs during the day, and she'd watch, uh, at that point, the Devil Rays at night. And she always called uh, them her, her little boys. Oh, that's my little boy. That's my other team. <laughs> and it would fill up some time. But she loved Joe Madden, and she still loves Joe Madden. And so when they when the Cubs got Joe Madden, she's like, you, you, you better get on this thing completely here. <laughs> you better understand <laughs> what's coming, because she knew that that guy uh, could – could find a way to mold the team, not only in his image, but but get them to be successful on a regular basis. So uh, they knew that, uh, and she knew that they were ready to roll. Uh, and at that point, uh, that, that it was all happening. So it, it was fun to see her joy in that, and it was fun to to kind of watch it evolve over these last couple seasons. But but to the original question, there's no doubt. 
if they were to win this one, if they were to to find a way to get over that hump as a fan, I mean, I'd hope that they'd win over and over and over again, and I believe they can. But uh, for me, as a as somebody who has watched them day in day out my entire life, having the the joy of that one title would be really really special. Just give me the one. Put you know, flags fly forever. That's all. That's all Nick Friedel is saying. <laughs> um, all right, brother. Let's transition a little bit to because uh, you know part of this of my show that I like to talk about is people's journeys and how they got to where they are. And I want to pivot to the Bulls and your work this way. In that you and I were talking about this before we came on the air. I was looking at this myself while I was prepping for chatting with you. And now the World Series schedule and the Bulls start of season schedule could potentially overlap a little bit. So how are you handling that? That's my first question for you to get into Bulls territory. I think if they sweep, if the Cubs sweep, you're in good shape, right? But then it starts getting tricky with uh, Bulls season openers and road games and stuff like that. How are you balancing that schedule? Uh, I, I'm trying to figure it out as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> Work in progress. <laughs> That's right. I'm I'm writing all the dates down. I'm I'm looking at the, the airplane flights. I I I'd say this, my, my, my bosses at ESPN have been great in the last couple of weeks because they understand how much this means to me. That's awesome. And they That's understand good. how much uh, it means to my family. So I've been able to uh, kind of work around the Bulls schedule and, and find my way at, at Wrigley. It is going to get a little more difficult uh, in in the next week or so just because I've got to decide if I can get to Cleveland and if I can get to Cleveland, can I get back in enough time to uh, to, to check out the Bulls opener and, and be there at practices the next couple of days. But uh, I, I'm hoping, well, like you said, I'm hoping <laughs> this is a short series because <laughs> I, the next week the Bulls have games in Brooklyn and Boston. And if this series goes long, I think especially that Boston game, I think that's the night of game seven. So no matter where I am in the world, and I'm I'm asking permission now, <laughs> and I hope it may get it, but I would plan to be in Cleveland for that game seven uh, if it came to that. So uh, we'll see. We'll see how it unfolds. But uh I think it's a day-by-day process at this point, uh, and and I'm hoping for uh, <laughs> for for some more leniency from uh, from my uh, my pals in Bristol there. Hey, brother, just because I like you so much, you put in the word for me and for you. If you if you need someone to be in Boston to cover that game for you while you go back to Cleveland, I will jump on that grenade for you. You let me know, okay? There you go. There you go. I appreciate it. Yeah, I appreciate man. it. Anything for you, buddy. All right, so tell us uh, how you got – because obviously ESPN, the brand name, carries a lot of weight. And Chicago, one of the great cities, full stop in America, but one of the great sports cities as well. And the Bulls, an iconic brand to be able to cover them. So tell us, you've been at ESPN Chicago, like you mentioned earlier, eight years now. What was the journey for you coming out of school, landing that gig, the in-betweens, and how has your – role and position changed and evolved since you've been in the doors there to what it is today? Yeah. Uh, well, I graduated from Syracuse for people who don't know in 2006. And when I went to Syracuse, I, I still remember you and I having these conversations way back in the day. I went to Syracuse. The only thing I wanted to be was Harry Carey. <laughs> I <laughs> wanted to be the Cubs play-by-play guy. And at Syracuse, you can take a play-by-play class, and I took this class, and I just didn't like it. I, I didn't like the uh, the uh, steps that, that go into uh, a play-by-play broadcast, and uh, more power to the people that are great at it, uh, because for for uh, fans that don't understand, I mean, there is so much prep work that goes into that. There is there is so much uh, memorization and off the top of your head numbers and, and figures and facts about different players. I mean, it is that is a tough, tough deal. And I know uh, you've had plenty of experience doing that as well. I mean, that is a, a difficult job. Uh, so uh, right about the time I was getting out of school, I was thinking, I, I, I need to pivot to something else. Here. And I've always loved sports. 
Uh, I've been a, a sports fan uh, forever, uh, as long as I can remember. And I thought, you know, I, I've always enjoyed writing. Why don't I try that? What happened was that I got out of school and I'd go interview for jobs and they'd say, well, your degree is in broadcasting. And again, this is 10 years ago, so things have changed. But they'd say, you know, your, your degree isn't in newspaper or, or magazine journalism. Uh, you don't have the experience. And, and this is always... For, for young people out there, it's always, well, how do I get the experience if you won't give me more experience? Uh, so my path was definitely different in that regard. Uh, but out of school, I just I started freelancing. I was doing a whole bunch of different stuff uh, for a whole bunch of different publications uh, and, and trying to find my way. And one of my close friends, uh, his name is Kevin Kaduck, uh, he got hired by Yahoo to run their, at that time, their baseball blog. And Kevin basically said, uh, you know, I, you can you can write some stuff uh, for my blog, but I'm not going to be able to pay you uh, at all at first. And so I did that for a while, and I had some other uh, odds and ends jobs over time, but uh, that Yahoo job kind of turned into a little more, and I was writing about uh, different sports at that point and, and really enjoying writing, but... I still <laughs> I didn't have a full-time job, and I was uh, still trying to find my way in Orlando. So uh, this is a very long story, but I'll try to condense it a little bit. You've had a, 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 you've a, had a distinguished career, man. Long stories is how you get yeah, to I, describe I, it. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there are a lot of steps here uh, <laughs> as, I'm, as I'm going through it in my mind. But uh, the, the short version of this, Mike, is this. A friend of a friend knew somebody who worked at ESPN. And when I came out and had called them and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find a job. I'll do anything. They said, you need to contact this person and and just open up that, that line of communication. And for anybody out there listening to us that's trying to find their way, uh, there's not a bad person to meet. There is not a, a, a bad connection to have. So I... I opened up the, the line of communication uh, at ESPN, and I stayed in touch for a couple years. And I still remember it was after the first giants Pat Super Bowl. So that's about 2007. I sent uh, my, my contact at ESPN a long email. I said, you know what you guys should do? You guys should create city-specific websites. And I think in, in that email, I said, you could hire writers like me to cover uh, different teams, and in my mind's eye at that time, I don't know if uh, how many people uh, read the Washington Post uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, but uh, it was like uh, what Dan Steinberg did uh, at that time, kind of writing about D.C. sports, all the teams, but at, at a different angle, and Dan is our columnist there. Uh, but that was what I, what I had in my mind, and I said, you guys should create a ESPN Chicago and and ESPN Los Angeles, ESPN Boston, ESPN New York, and hook those into the radio stations because this was a time, again, 10, 12 years ago, where newspapers were really, they were starting to uh, starting to die down. Yep. And the money that was going into them was starting to die down, and that's become even more prevalent, of course, uh, in the last few years here. But I'll never forget, uh, the, the person I emailed <laughs> wrote me right back the next day, and he said, Nick, you've got some great ideas here, some we've thought of, some we haven't. Uh, I'm going to put you in touch with a bunch of different people, and they're all CC'd on the, on the side there. And, and Mike, I'm, I'm not saying I'm not the first person ever to think of creating city-specific websites. I was about to say, this was, you, this was your idea, Nick? I hope you're getting royalties <laughs> from all these, uh, all these city websites, well, man. You, you know what's funny? Over time, uh, in, in knowing more people in Bristol, they're like, look, uh, you you had some great ideas here, but you should know that this was kind of this was in the 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 thought incubator uh, for a while. But that just but means that, great minds think alike. That's all. That's right. That's right. And that thought got me in the door even more. And I I relay this story because uh, you know we could talk about it all day. But the point is that email that I sent opened the, the lines of communication to me that had been closed to that point. And so while I'm doing all this freelance work for Yahoo and everything else, 
here I am, uh, you know, a year later, once ESPN Chicago finally comes to fruition, and I'm right there at the front of the line. And I'll never forget uh, my my boss in Chicago, who's, who's still my boss here. We sit down, and you know, he asks what so many people get on that first job interview, or, or one of them, they they say, well, what sets you apart? And I said, I'm going to send you this email that I sent a year plus ago, and you're going to understand what this means to me and, and how I would approach it. And, and we went through the interview process, and I sent them the email when I left, and a couple days later, they call, and they're like, we want you to start writing for us. And so when ESPN Chicago started, I was there. And again, at the time, I was writing about everything. And and how that evolved was I did that for about six months, and my boss called. And originally, I was going to do, I was going to kind of be the backup baseball person, which looking back probably meant that I was going to do a lot of White Sox stuff. And I, I still remember one of my other bosses called me and he said, "Hey," he, he called me a couple of weeks later and he said, "Hey, uh, you know basketball, right?" I said, "Sure." I mean, I've covered basketball and I've been around the game forever again I, I grew up in Orlando I was a, a huge magic fan and he said well we need somebody to cover the bulls and I said that's good does that mean I get health insurance now and he said yeah because <laughs> you're doing you're doing the radio work as well and so my job went from kind of writing about a whole bunch of different teams within Chicago to writing and reporting on the bulls for the website and the radio station here. And, you know, seven and a half, eight years later, here we are. And that's kind of evolved into more TV stuff and, and even more radio work. So uh, it just speaks to uh, not giving up on that dream, uh, whatever it may be, knowing that the dream may, may change a little bit over time, uh, but believing in yourself because I always believed that I could do it. I just was never sure if I was going to be given the chance by somebody to prove it. Uh, and, and what I tell kids that are coming out of school now is just keep knocking on the door. Eventually it'll open. And if you prove that you can do it, somebody will give you a chance to, to keep it rolling. So uh, it, it, it's been a, a long journey to get to this point, but it's one I've had some fun with even during the real down points. And, and it's one that I hope, uh, I hope younger students and people trying to get into business here and they go, okay, well, I mean, if that guy can do it, sure, I can, I can do it. And maybe somebody will give me a chance. And you, all the things you mentioned, the radio and the TV, and I do want to get you out of here, Nick, I don't want to keep you for too long. So we still got a couple of things I want to touch on, but one of those things that you didn't even mention is social media. Cause you've got a massive Twitter following. It's like 93,000 people right now or something. And compared to other peers of yours at the different ESPN cities, some of these beat writers, you're doubling and following. Do you, so I wanted to ask you, cause I feel like you have a unique perspective on this. Do you feel like Twitter is also part of your job delivering news there, entertaining fans there, or is that something that you still consider sort of a byproduct or an addendum to what your actual job is? Cause you're very active. You're very popular. So how's that fit into what you consider your, your general pie? I think that Twitter is a huge part of of my day-to-day uh, work, Mike. I mean, I, I think it's just huge. When you factor in uh, the the pull that, that that medium has has gotten over time and, and how popular it is with uh, a, a lot of different people, but especially sports fans, uh, I, the... the, the the picture that pops up in my mind is we're sitting at a Bulls game. And this is, I mean, hell, it could be any game. It could be a baseball game, a football game, doesn't matter. You go to press row at a sporting event, and inevitably every writer or TV person or whatever, whatever journalists are in that press box or down by the floor uh, on the basketball court, everybody's got a window open to Twitter and it's constant and you're reading information and you're thinking about what I can put out there that nobody else has. And you're thinking about what I can put out there that's different. It has just become essential really to anybody who's trying to 
to find their way in the sports media world. And, and who knows how long it will last. I'd be the first to tell you that when it came out and people were using it, I was one of the ones that oh, this will never last. This will never be a big thing. I just thought it was kind of goofy. Oh, 140 characters, okay. <laughs> uh, but not only does it last, I mean, it's withstood the test of time at this point. Uh, I know ESPN uh, has created its own program called Shortstop, uh, which is kind of an answer to Twitter for them in the sense that uh, they have uh, the writers like myself. We're, we're tweeting information into an app. Uh, it, it's just it's hugely important. Uh, and, if, and if you're trying to, to build up a brand uh, or you're trying to interact with, with people and with fans over time, it's something that has got to be at, at the top of your list to, to build uh, that, that foothold within the, the social media world. And, and Twitter is right at the front of that. All right, well, that, all that means is that when I tag you when this podcast goes live, i got to get a little retweet or something to get this thing marketed yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, you got it. You got it. You got it. <laughs> um, I'm not, done deal. Awesome. I'm not going to uh, cannibalize your any season preview work uh, in terms of the Bulls' year coming up, but it's an interesting season. Real quick, yes or no, uh, Vegas set the over-under for wins for the Bulls at 38-and-a-half. Yes or no, they go over that? I say no. Uh, and I say it with the caveat that, as usual, Vegas is right there because yeah. I thought that was a perfect, uh, a perfect number. I mean, if everybody stays healthy and, and Wade and Rondo and Butler fit together, although I, I don't think it's going to work, uh, if that happens, sure they could win 40, 42 games and, and make the playoffs. But uh, Wade can be 35. Uh, Jimmy has had some injury problems the last couple of seasons where he's missed about a, a month each year. And, and who knows with Rondo how he'll fit in over the course of six, seven months in that locker room because of the issues he's had in the past. So uh, I actually say under on the Bulls, and I think that number with 38 and a half is is right around where they'll be. All right, I like it. Um, Nick, we like to send everybody out with uh, something called the Fun Five. It's fun five questions that are tailored for you and you alone. But before we get to that, something new I'm trying out is letting all the guests turn the tables on me. If you like, you don't have to, but if you want to ask me any question, now is your time. Oh, man. Let me let me think about that. Okay, I, I got one. I got one. Okay. You, you did some work for Guinness, uh, Guinness World Records. Uh, people for for a while out of all the crazy things you saw what do you remember the most now being removed from it for for a couple of years uh good question uh, i used to get asked that a lot when i was working there what's the craziest thing you've seen what's the best thing you've done uh but now with a little bit of perspective i guess it's been two years now since i left um the answer may change uh, it's funny, one of the ones that comes to mind, I mean, obviously I'm a big sports guy, so it's all the sports things I got to do, that's what comes to mind first. Uh, so for instance, I mean, there's a very short list, uh, one of which was I got to do, it was in the off-season, they had a sing-along at Wrigley Field, I forget the exact record, but it was like a giant sing-along, and uh, Eddie Vedder was there as sort of a celebrity guest, and I got to be on the field, I got to touch the ivy in center field, uh, you know, this was back in 2011 or something. Um, so maybe it's the good luck that I put there at Wrigley that now is manifesting five years later uh, for the Cubbies. Um, but, but, but the biggest one for me was, and this is, ties in with you, I guess, a little bit. I was at the 2012 All-Star Game. If you remember, that was the one that was in Orlando. And I got yeah, to do a yeah. bunch. Yeah, I got to do a bunch of records with the players on their practice day, three-point shooting records and, you know, behind-the-backboard shot records and stuff. And I remember LeBron, and this was the year they ended up winning their first title in Miami. So he was really getting to his superstar status, and he was trying a record with a bunch of guys. And he came over, just put his arm around my shoulder, like, yo, Mikey, all right, let's, let's do this. Tell me what I got to do. And just cracking jokes about how much shorter than him I was and how my suit looked funny. And just me and LeBron and him treating me, this freaking megastar, global icon, Treating me like we were just buddies that grew up together back in Akron or back in Jersey um, was just incredible. And to see where he's gone since then, I think now when I look back, that is 
I mean, it's a moment in time for me in my mind. So definitely, I think that's top of the list in terms of who it was and what it was and what he's become now in retrospect. So that was a good one. Me me and LeBron. Awesome. That, I mean, and that's awesome. I mean, that's why we're, that's why we're in this business. Yeah. The stories. Yeah. I mean, you, those are the things you remember for, for years and years. It's you. Uh, the stories you're able to tell and the emotions that they bring. So that is really cool. And that's how you get a book deal when you're older and need some revenue in your later years. <laughs> All right, Nick, time for the fun five. These are for you and you alone. You mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking about the Cubs, how you were handing out credit to guys like Theo Epstein and Joe Madden. So th- this five some walks into a bar and you're already at the bar. It's Theo Epstein, it's Joe Madden, it's Rizzo, it's Bryant, and it's Javi Baez. You only have enough cash in your pocket to afford a drink to buy one of them. Who are you buying a beer for? Joe Madden, for sure. Uh, I think, uh, Mike, I think Theo deserves more credit than anybody. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I will happily go to the ATM and go get more money to buy <laughs> Theo whatever the hell he wants and the rest of those guys. But I think Joe Madden is just the coolest. Uh, I think he is. Uh, really, really good at his job, and I am certain that that guy has a, a cool story uh, or two to tell. So if it were me and I had to buy uh, a beer for anybody, it would be for Mr. Madden. He does not suck, so that's a good choice. Uh, this question came in from one of my uh, Twitter followers. You may have seen that uh, Joe Lanick, he wanted to know, uh, do you put ketchup on your hot dog? Because I know Chicago hot dogs are very particular about it's the pickles and it's all that kind of stuff. So I'm going to expand that to a larger thing. Do you like Chicago hot dogs? Because for me, it's they're no good. Uh, Chicago hot dogs, uh, specifically Vienna beef hot dogs, are awesome. But all the fixings that go on it, uh, not so much for me. So the answer, Mike, to that question is yes, I put ketchup on my hot dogs. Uh, yes, in Chicago here, I get destroyed for it. Uh, <laughs> but I'd add that uh, my my favorite place to eat in Orlando, it's actually still down there, it's called Hot Dog Heaven. And it was created by uh, a husband and wife who grew up here. And for years, I would go in there and I would order two hot dogs with just ketchup. And they'd say, come on, Nick, like, you've been coming in here. And I'm telling you, like, we moved to Orlando in, like, 1989. Uh, We went right away. So I've been going to this place for 25-some-odd years. (laughs) And I never wanted any of the stuff on there. I never wanted the the, the pickle or the mustard or, uh, you know, uh, the relish, any of that stuff. But I will tell you, I will tell you this, (laughs) as much as I still – Love getting ketchup on my hot dogs. Over time, since I've been here, I have I have broadened my horizons a little bit. Uh, I have started to put a little more stuff on my hot dogs, on my Chicago dogs, just because uh, I don't think it is the worst thing in in the world, and and certainly it's an acquired taste, but. Uh, Absolutely, I put ketchup on my hot dogs. A man after my own heart. Uh, question number three in the fun five. Your favorite NBA city to visit outside of Chicago? Portland. Really? Portland, That's a surprise. Portland is like the hidden gem to me of the NBA schedule. Uh, and and I, I always tell people, they say, oh, you know, what's a good place to, to catch a game? A good road trip. Uh, the atmosphere in that arena in within cities, awesome. Uh, in Portland, there are just a ton of places to get a good drink or, or find something real good to eat. Uh, they're all over. Uh, it's very laid back out there. It's very pretty when it's not raining. Uh, so I always love my couple days a year out in Portland, and I've, I've tried to make it a habit the last few summers to get out there even when I don't have to be there for a game. I, I like it that much. I did not expect that answer. Wow, Nick Friedel, stamp of approval. Uh, both guys in their prime. Question number four: LeBron versus Jordan. Who wins a one-on-one game? Oh, Jordan! Come on now. Really? You think Jordan? So? Jordan finds a way always, uh, and and for as athletically gifted as LeBron is, and for as much as he's accomplished, 
give me Michael Jordan every single time in a one-on-one game, in a five-on-five game, uh, in, in any game you can imagine. To me, it's always Jordan. All right. Last question. Nick, I know you're a big burger connoisseur, and I've had the, the pleasure of enjoying some good ones in your company. Who's got the best burger in America? Uh, Oshaval here in Chicago. And, and Mr. Janela, like, you set me up perfectly there because I've had a ton of burgers. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm like wimpy from, uh, uh, you know, Popeye. Like uh, I, people just crush me all the time for, for always talking about burgers. And I can promise you that out of all the great burgers I've had, nothing tops Oshaval in Chicago. It is the best. It is the champ. It is, uh, number one by any metric, uh, and I will stand by that until <laughs> until I find some other burger they can pop it. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Great stuff, right? That concludes the fun five and our time with you, Nick. You already gave us so much time, man, so thank you very much and appreciate it. Uh, what do you want to plug? Any Twitter handles, websites? Where do you want the people to check you out? Uh, my, my Twitter is at Nick Friedel, F-R-I-E-D-E-L-L, and uh, you know, you can follow my work uh, on, on ESPN.com, but I just I just want people to to enjoy <laughs> what's happening here right now <laughs> with this team, Mike. Because uh, truly, uh, I mean, for so many people, so many people, nobody's seen it before. And sure, uh, the, there are people like my grandma who were lucky enough to to be at the uh, those last. World Series games, for, but for a whole new generation of people like me, uh, they're seeing something that, that nobody's been able to to see, and I think that is just such a cool, cool experience for for all involved. So, uh, if you get the chance to, to flip on the, the TV or the radio and listen to these games, just know that here in Chicago, uh, it is unbelievable being in the city at this time with what's going on. Hey, I know I will be watching every minute of it. Nick, I know you will to the best of your ability with your work schedule too. I'm pulling for you, buddy. Go Cubs go. And I hope for some, uh, some good news for you, some good feelings over the next week. I appreciate it, my man. Good talking to you. All right. The pleasure's always mine. That is Nick Friedel. And you can also go to MikeJanella.com, and I'll have links to all of Nick's stuff where you can find him. Also, some info on where you can listen to and find out more about the great outro music you're hearing right now. Make sure to like, subscribe, download on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher and also, again, at MikeJanella.com for all your old episodes. Nick Friedel, thanks again, my man. You got it. All right. And thanks to you guys for listening. This was the Mike Janella Show. We'll try and do better next time. See ya.